Nikisha, and this is Talking Horror with Jamie and Nikisha, where we share our love for spooky spook things and talk horror through the lens of human behavior. Well, welcome everyone. We got our lenses. We are ready to go. It is a deep dive into this. If you're watching us on, oh, producer Brian is getting his lenses as well. Uh, so that we can all be cohesive together. Because if you're watching us on the YouTubes, we have a special guest with Woo. us. Woo-woo. Oh my gosh. We have Josh from the haunting season with us finally on here. Round of applause, Woo. snaps and claps. Yeah. Shoulders. Shoulders. Josh. Yeah, shoulders. Shimmy. shimmy. And a little shimmy shake. We love a little that. Shimmy shake. What's up? <laughs> Welcome Glad back. to have you here. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. We are excited uh, to have you to talk about our movie um, and we'll ask more from you, but I do want to introduce the movie first and then we'll head on back to you. But I just wanted the people to know who you were as we uh, join in today in our conversation of the 2014 American found footage supernatural horror film, The Taking of Deborah Logan. Okay, that's just fucking icing on top of the shitty fucking cake. Here, what about the switchboard, huh? What about the fucking window opening and closing? The bitch levitated onto a counter. The Gavin train's pulling out, bro. Last call, man. You need this paycheck you know as much as I do, man. Please, Please don't, don't leave. Don't be a team player. Fuck. No. Both of you. Gavin. Gavin. I do. Yes. I do want to say that the last time we had Josh on, we did. Um, Leslie Vernon, which uh, I, I linked that in the description here. It's a spectacular movie. Truly has become one of our favorites since you suggested mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's funny that we're doing another, like, thesis found footage project movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's like... There's a theme. That's, that's now a theme our thing. Yeah. There's right, a thesis it's our brand. found footage film, we're saving it for you. <laughs> right. What's... What's great about that is I think my suggestion at the end still fits into that realm, so maybe I'll be <laughs> oh, back. that's so funny. That's amazing. Well, because Deborah Logan, I had never seen Deborah Logan before, but after you came on for Leslie Vernon, uh, Deborah Logan was one of your suggestions for that. And so Jamie and I watched it and then, you know, fell in love with it. And when we asked you to come back and, and you suggested Debbie L, our girl Debbie L, I was so thrilled. <laughs> Um, because yeah, you know, that, that our girl that, Debbie Allen, you know, oh, God, she's right there. that's so freaky. That, that I know it has a this is the DVD, it has those creepy eyes like she's yeah. wearing a mask. I love that, it's horrifying. That's such a cool picture to have. Well, we are so happy to have you here, Josh, to talk about this movie because there is so much to talk about. So let's get into it. This movie is directed by Adam Robitel in his feature directorial debut, and it stars an amazing performance by Jill Larson, Anne Ramsey, and Michelle Ang. Uh, so heavy spoilers if you have not seen The Taken of Deborah 
go watch it now. Press pause on your podcast because I really feel like you should watch this before we talk about it. You got to know all the ins and outs of of our good old friend and uh, then come back and listen to us and see if your opinions match our opinions. Or if not, that's also okay. You still listen to us and we appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) So Jamie, can you please hit us with all of the trigger warnings because there are also a lot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This film centers around somebody with Alzheimer's. So just to start, like for me, that is a huge trigger. So like putting that out there, that is a major theme (laughs) of this film. But, you know, it's a horror film, so perhaps there's some other horror elements to be aware of. Uh, (laughs) There's some references to cannibalism. There are snakes, murders of children, uh, evil rituals, um, child abduction, uh, murder of adults, uh, snake, human snake transformation, eating the, uh, I don't even jaw know. Jaw unhinging. Jaw Unhin- unhinging. Yeah, big, oh, big mouths. I don't like big, big mouths. mouths. So if you don't like big mouths, there's a big mouth. And we're not talking about the TV yeah. show. Guys. Elder no, nudity. There's elder yeah, nudity. Elder nudity. Yeah, it's elder nudity. Yeah. Also, if you um, don't like abandoned minds, this is not for you. <laughs> also very true. <laughs> but mm-hmm. as most like of the bros on Horror Talk would say, but it's not that bad. just to minimize everybody's fears for a moment yeah right there's nothing like undercutting what you just said (laughs) my goodness especially from a straight white male Uh, (laughs) (laughs) everything is fine guys everything is so fine Um, before we, before we get into it, uh, Josh, you know, we haven't had you on in a while. Tell us a little bit about what you're up to, what haunting, haunting season's always up to something. And I'm always fascinated (laughs) to see where, where you head, where you go, what your, um, what your current passion is, because it's usually fascinating. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, a lot of that's true. I feel like I don't personally have ADHD, but haunting season does for some reason. Um, because it's one of those things where I just I keep getting cool ideas and I, I kind of uh, get really excited and I go and do them aggressively. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm tiptoeing back from uh, regular social media content because I feel like I've spent the last three years building, uh, making relationships like we have so that I can be on some cool podcasts mm-hmm. um, and and collaborate with people. And I've met a lot of really incredible people through that process. But the platforms are changing. And really, if you want to succeed on these like main platforms, you have to be posting so frequently and be ahead Mm -hmm. of everybody else. And I've never really wanted to do that. I'm Mm -hmm. a storyteller. I started in 2013 on YouTube telling original Mm -hmm. scary stories and that's where I'm skewing myself back to. So there are a few things that I'm working on uh, right now. I'm starting to create more of those stories, but merge in my filmmaking skills into them so that cool. they have more meaningful visuals. I've released the first one uh, earlier in January that was uh, footage actually that I shot back in 2014 and just never did anything with. And then I found it on an old hard drive and was like, 
I'm, I'm going to write a new story and I'm just going to use it. And it worked out well. So I'm going to lean in towards that. But I'm also mm-hmm. script writing. I have uh, a couple of features that I'm working on with different writing partners so cool. that those are in my pocket when any sort of conversation comes up about like, well, you know, what kind of bigger things you want to do? I can be like, boom, boom, script, script. Uh, and then a couple mm-hmm. of short films that I'm working on as well so that visually I can show, you know, my chops. Hmm. That's spectacular. Um, your stuff is I, – I personally love your stuff. Um, I, I, I discovered you on TikTok, obviously, and, and that's where we became friendly. And I've branched out to your other uh, content. And I'm just – I'm always absorbing it, and I, I think you're very talented. So thanks for ta- – I know you're busy, oh, so thanks for taking the time to, to join us. We appreciate it. Yeah, it's a good yeah. time of year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, starting the year off right with some good old uh, horror things. W-L. It's always a nice setup. Our girl Deb. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, should we get into it, guys? We need to do a plot summary of this. Watch the plot. <laughs> and I think that it is now designated to our guest... Mr. Josh. Okay. So I think <laughs> uh, we'll give you two minutes. Jamie <laughs> will put it on the clock for you. And if you could <clears throat> give us your best summary of good old Debbie L, it would be much appreciated. We know you will be great. <laughs> It'll be amazing. All right. So much. That's, a, that's a really good confidence builder. No, yes. It has to sound <laughs> like a trailer. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> But yes, All right, I'm here we giving go. you two minutes. It's a 90 minute movie, so I feel really confident in your ability to like get through this. So, a solid points. I yeah, feel we'll like once I know I how long they yeah. are, it's like confidence. You can fit it in. Um, yeah. And I'll give you, I'll give you a one minute warning. A 30 second warning, and then I'll count down at 10 seconds so you know how much I don't think you're going to need all that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be surprised if I remember that many details. All right. Ready, set, go. The Taking of Deborah Logan. Uh, It is a special kind of found footage movie because it's filmed with a documentary crew, so it's a little less shaky cam. It's a little more grounded in uh, like more solidified with a starting point to this is going great. So we go along with a film crew as they set out to make a documentary about a woman living with Alzheimer's disease and what her progression looks like for her and for her caregiver. Uh, And Deborah, she's got second thoughts about all of this, but with the weight of medical costs and uh, maybe a foreclosure on their house, they've decided to let the crew continue to film and, and stay in their house or revisit the house. So things start to escalate as Deborah's condition gets worse and some freaky things start to happen, which one of the camera guys, I think, believes is beyond normal, even though the doctor is like, no, it's totally normal. He's like, no, it's definitely supernatural. And so Deborah, uh, you know, she's like inexplicably speaking French and talking about a ritual and her old call board that she used to be a switcher for is like lighting up. And there's all sorts of craziness that links back to a dark, dark past. And what we're left with is a great movie with a sort of higher than expected production value that for me ended up scaring me on multiple levels, including existentially. And that's the plot. Amazing. Good job. Wow. That was so great. 30 yes. seconds left. If you have any final right. thoughts. Um, <laughs> sure. Uh, I like it. <laughs> Fantastic. Here's the DVD again. <laughs> 
Also, can I just say your nail color is fantastic? Can you just show the YouTube people's like what's happening, what's going on? Yeah, I I told my nail tech I wanted like ugly fun. And so we've got like uh, oh two that are neon green, <laughs> ugly fun. Uh, we got like cow print on one of them. We've got two different uh-huh. kinds of flowers. I saw it on uh, Pinterest, to be honest. And I was like, do, do cool. this. This is do, ugly. And I fun. want this specifically. Yeah. That's very This cool. is it. But the, the fact that you said ugly fun will now be in my vocabulary because yeah. that's genius. <laughs> <laughs> that is what I need in my life. Ugly fun. It's yes. like that like frown dance you do when you're like really excited about the pizza mm-hmm. that just showed up. And you're like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like ugly biting fun. the lip. It's yeah. like, yeah, totally. you got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just total cringe. <laughs> um, Fantastic. Ugly fun described as that for the pizza arriving is true ugly fun like yeah. that's oh, exactly yeah. yes. the moment i thought of and you described it as i was thinking it yeah yeah yes. yeah you're like oh this fried chicken place you get a slider that's the full size of a full sandwich <laughs> and you also get a bite that's also the full size of a full sandwich and it's on bread but somehow it's just a chicken tender <laughs> yep ugly fun I'm ugly really fun hungry. yeah yeah <laughs> all for 10 bucks got it yeah. Okay, well, let's get into it with our first segment, Likes and Gripes. And now, our Likes and Gripes. And since we have our guest here, Josh, please give us all your likes and gripes of this movie. Give us your relationship with this movie. Uh, How many times have you seen this? We see that you do have the DVD of it, so I'm assuming you've seen it multiple times. Tell us everything. Yeah, um, I'm just going to hold, keep holding this up throughout the entire <laughs> – yes. yeah, anytime I don't have something to say, I'll hold up the DVD. Um, I, I, so I really like this film because it's talking about something that really matters and in a way that um, you know doesn't go against the grain of being a horror film but also I don't think truly violates the fact that we're talking about a hereditary disorder and uh, or disease. And um, – That to me, I think, is one of the lost arts of horror films is that even if it's super abstract, that like holding the mirror up to the audience and saying like, we're going to force you to look at something that's really uncomfortable and it's not entirely for shock value. It's because I know it's deep in your brain and it's something that you worry about. Hey, fireworks. Uh, (laughs) Someone else has got the update, guys. It's not just me. (laughs) Visually, this episode is going to be stunning. And for those listening at home, I'm sorry you're missing on my nail color and the fireworks. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I I mean, just like me, my my personal journey as a storyteller and something that I kind of realign myself back to, sort of my mission statement is always I want to create something that will affect change. And that's something I learned through the company that I work for, Believe Limited. Um, We do work in rare disorders and diseases and travel the world telling these stories. And so when there's a horror film that fits into that realm that I'm like living in, um, one makes it extra scary and two makes me feel like, Oh, these filmmakers, like they, they have a purpose with making this film. And while it goes off the rails at the end and is obviously something that you're probably not going to worry about, like being eaten by a person, um, (laughs) who has a giant snake mouth, um, you know, it it really does open up your mind to maybe do some research and wonder if it is in your, uh, 
you know, lineage and, you know, prepare yourself maybe even uh, in, in the best case scenario. And in worst case scenarios, it'll traumatize you and, and cause you to spiral. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> It does what horror movies do. Yeah. Spooks. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, so that's, I guess my likes, um, mm-hmm. is that I just, I, I just think it's an important film. Um, and I want to see more films like this that push yeah. the boundaries of like talking about good things. Um, and then the gripes, I, I really only have one and I guess we're doing, you said we're doing heavy spoilers and I already mentioned the snake mouth. Yes. Um, the first time I saw that, I just thought the CGI was like a six out of 10 tops. Mm-hmm. Like it, mm-hmm. it didn't sell for me 100%. And so it was like in that cave, I was so ready to just like to cover my eyes and be scared for the rest of my life. And then I saw it and, and this is like a problem I have with most CGI. It just yeah. was like, I get the point you're getting across. I understand that's probably the best you could do with the budget, but like, damn, it was so close. Yeah. yeah, you're you're in the right place complaining about CGI and that's all we talk about <laughs> because yeah. like it really more than anything, uh, not I'm not saying bad, but not up to par. CGI is more distracting than plot points, than acting, than mm-hmm. screenplay, like dialogue kind of um, weaknesses. I can I I am one because it's a creative medium and like that is someone's like. That is that is how someone wrote it, how somebody wanted this movie. I, I'm how someone edited it. That's fine. That's those are choices. But like when the technology w- keeps you from getting your point across and it pulls me out, it's like a real bummer. Yeah, because yeah. like we've seen Freddy Krueger swallow Patricia Arquette, mm-hmm. you know, and like how long ago was that? I mean, like totally usually right. Jurassic Park is my marker, but we're talking about swallowing people. You know, yes. it goes back further mm-hmm. than Jurassic Park. We mm-hmm. were able to do this. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, Brian, since you were already kind of piggybacking off of the CGI, do you want to go next with some likes and gripes? Yeah, sure. Um, I like this movie a lot. I will. This was my second time watching this movie. The first time, as I mentioned, I watched it when when Josh suggested it. Um, (laughs) Because Jamie and I, at at that point, were in like a deep, deep, like, give me all of the found footage movies that we've never seen. Mm -hmm. And we just like, we ripped through a ton of them, like Grave Encounters, this, Afflicted. Um, there's, there's a, there's a, there was a lot of good ones in there. Um, and this is, this is a really good one. Um, I totally agree with Josh movies that truly affect me are horror movies that have some sort of, um, uh, something to say about something personal, um, whether it's uh, an allegory for something, whether it is the way that our society is functioning, or whether it is an, a personal account of some sort of genetic hereditary disease, obviously taken to the nth degree. Um, uh, so I, I really appreciate that about this movie. I really like the documentarian's lies at the beginning of this movie. I think that it really shapes the tone of this movie and what they're going through. I like that everybody's manipulative. The daughter is manipulative. The, the, the filmmakers are manipulative. It's not one sided in who is ethically incorrect or, or however you see that. I I think that is really layered, um, in that, um, 
I love the small details of this movie. The cameraman touching everything as he's going through the house. Um, I thought that that was really great. Um, I, I really think that the, the sound design, Debbie's groaning and the screams at night um, are really effective. Um, <clears throat> I like, it's funny, the end snake face like the CGI takes me out, but I still remember that image. It's a very weird, like disconnect yes. in some ways. Um, <clears throat> I think that the best part of this movie is when the cameraman leaves. I, I don't remember the last time someone made a good decision in a horror movie and <laughs> stuck to it. You mm. know, like that. What a thousand percent. What an absolute delight of a moment. Um, I, I I actually really liked the genuine documentary and Alzheimer's at the first half of this movie. I think mm-hmm. that that really grounds it in a, in a reality that I appreciated. Um, I loved, this is me being a masochist, but I love the underlying pain of not being fully accepted by her mother. And I like mm. the slow reveal of why and, 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 and that really worked for me. Um, I really liked the, the concept of like a spiritual parasite. Um, I thought that was a cool thing that they had mentioned. We, I'm a huge fan of when a movie actually has the most. We, we've in all the movies that we've kind of uh, in all this this possession movies, if you will, that we've seen or ghost movies, we're haunting movies. We always like to pinpoint who is the weak-minded one that the spirit can latch on to. Yep. And I think it's fascinating that this one actually takes a genetic disease, whether she has Alzheimer's or not, whether whether the Alzheimer's is real or whether it's just the possession like we can we can ask that question to the group um but i really like that that she sees the spirit like getting closer to the house and like mm-hmm. it, it it gets her and, and i i think that like that's really interesting um and i really like the chaos of the burning bo- uh, uh the burning the body bag the first time to jump to something totally different i just mm. think this movie is very well formatted i think the pacing is really good even when it slows down i'm still very interested like the hospital sequences and all of that i think it is i think it's really well made um on all accounts. <clears throat> However, yeah. I do have some narrative gripes that I did not pick up the first time that really, really got to me this time. And I actually think I enjoyed this more the first time I watched it over the second time. <clears throat> I'm talking like a half star, maybe a full star difference if we're going like rate letterbox ratings, um, <clears throat> but like not significantly. Um, I have a question for the group. Something that takes me out of movies, especially when they're supposed to be found footage, is when there are recognizable actors or actresses in uh, found footage movies. Mm. Um, And for me, Anne Ramsey, who played Sarah, is a recognizable actress from like Mad About You or Brooklyn 45 in 2023. Um, Mm -hmm. So I am – that is some. I, I get over it because like I'm an adult. I can do I can I can separate myself. But like at first it always pulls me out and the movie has to work harder to get me in back in. Mm. Does anybody else feel that way or am I or is that something that I experienced? For me that's something that kind of cycles like mm. uh, and and I don't know if it's necessarily with specifically found footage movies but um you know, because like I, I love seeing Ethan Hawke in in a horror movie, mm. but I do, I am, I do know it's him, and so I'm judging his performance. And you know, like almost in my brain while I'm watching it, being like, Ethan, man, he's crushing it. You know, and like sure. that does take you out of the film. And so I think one of the 
beautiful things of indie filmmaking is that ability to work with people you don't recognize. But I'm also someone who, uh, and, and I'll bring this up in more detail later, um, but I have aphantasia. And so I, I don't um, have imagery in my brain the same way other people do. And so when I remember someone, I don't necessarily remember their face or, or any physical attributes about them. So for example, like The Conjuring, I walked out of The Conjuring and was like, I love that they just had all these nameless people and they looked so much like a family. And then my wife is like, you don't know who those people are? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think, Brian, are you just talking about found footage? Found footage. Because mm-hmm. it's okay. a, I'm supposed to buy into the fact that like we found this tape, it's real, you know? And sure. and mm-hmm. and there's but I know this actress. That mm-hmm. that like to me, Hell House LLC like works because I don't know who any of these people like these are right. this could be something I just pulled off of a shelf, you know, mm-hmm. like afflicted, um, you know, there's or like uh, a Blair Witch, Raven like Blair, Blair Witch, activity. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. but the second I see a found footage horror movie where um that's supposed to be like we found this tape and it's and mm-hmm. it's someone like of note an actress i get back into it but that that's one thing that does take me out and that's a weird mm-hmm. gripe to have and it's not fair but like maybe but it's understandable because i can i can understand in you saying that it's taking you out of the world because mm-hmm. you're like i am my suspension of disbelief can only go so far yeah. if i know who this person is so like like you said how are you supposed to know so i get it I I don't think I've experienced that personally, but I understand how you can experience that. Yeah. Well, and thinking about it too, from like the production side and, and as someone who's like only just started to try and understand the financing side of Mm -hmm. independent small budget (laughs) films, so much of the conversations that my friends are having and some of the conversations I've had are like, well, come back to us when there's a script and when you know, who's going to be attached to it. Mm -hmm. And the, that we're in an age now, I mean, this is, what'd you say, 2014? Mm-hmm. Um, we're in an age now where even more than in 2014, you know, 10 years later, there are horror movies being cranked out. And like, even Blumhouse has like caps for budgets. I think I was mm-hmm. told that they have a guaranteed $30 million and you have six reshoot days. And if you use up those reshoot days on... um on like your actual shoot days because you go over, you don't get anything else. You don't get any more money. You don't get any. Mm-hmm. So that's why some of these Blumhouse movies that are coming out, according to a guy I know who works on some of these crews, mm-hmm. um, some of them kind of suck because they blew their whole budget. And then the producers mm-hmm. watched it and were like, you need to make these changes. And they were like, we don't have any more days. And so you just get what the crew came up with and the director yeah. came up with. And you don't get that extra <laughs> level of finessing that maybe you do get on a smaller budget movie, but then you've got to work the business and try and get, you know, some names in it in order to get it made. I don't know. Maybe we're in an age where like sound footage isn't quite going to cut it anymore as a genre because there's no money for it. I don't know. It's yeah. That's an interesting, interesting, super interesting concept. Um, Uh, I have a question. This took me out because I wasn't sure. Were they PhD candidates making an Alzheimer's movie or were they film majors making like a a, a documentary on that? Because she takes the blood pressure at one point. But like, mm-hmm. but like if, if you're a PhD candidate, like 
are, are you should probably not make a movie and like like you know write a paper and save someone's life. I don't know. It that that <laughs> that was a little convoluted for me. And maybe I missed something at the beginning. But that bothered me the whole. I was like, why are they filming this? Like, what are they? Are they are they film majors or are they PhD candidates? A PhD yeah, it doesn't in film? even say it. I'm like I don't looking know. at well, just at the wiki, and it's just saying a, a team of students. Not yeah, necessarily like, like because she takes the blood pressure. That's what throws me off. She takes the mm-hmm. blood pressure. If she didn't, I'd just be like, "That's fine." But I don't know. That's just one thing. Again, something I noticed this time that I that I didn't pick up on the first time. Uh, I'll yeah. say if they were film majors, um, they're not very good, and if they're PhD <laughs> candidates, they're not very good. Exactly. But, <laughs> If they are med students who are like, oh, we're going to document, you know, for the first time intimately with a family, what it's like during the progression of this disease on a day-to-day basis, Mm -hmm. that's interesting. So maybe it's left ambiguous for that reason, but I think it has to be in the middle there. I'm concerned. I'm also concerned about what they're doing if they haven't learned bedside manner yet. Yeah, this right. is a bedside manner documentary. Yeah, one hundred percent. Well, because oh a God. true documentarian wouldn't touch everything in the house, no, or interact no with right. the people. Um, yeah. exactly. And then a true uh, a true PhD candidate would know what the fuck Alzheimer's is. And totally, right. you yeah. Know? yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's something. Um, the New Zealand accent of the lead pops in every once in a while. Um, mm. How I, I wrote. I wrote. How is this a thesis in general? What is the thesis? Yeah. What is the thesis? You guys have visual imaginations, right? Can you just imagine, yeah. please, this woman, Deborah Logan, doing that? We come to AMC theaters to laugh, to cry. <laughs> Uh, because we need that all of us Um, oh my gosh uh, that uh, why are all the rooms covered in sheets like if someone else is living there this daughter's anyway I get that that's that's Alzheimer's yeah that's that's (laughs) fine that's explained that's fine that's not a plot hole that's just me like questioning some things I thought Um, it was like a covering the mirrors kind of thing yeah you know like oh don't Mm. let her see that she's Decaying, deteriorating. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then I guess this decaying is mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then my <clears throat> the doctor making house calls is fine. I'll buy into that. But this was this was my biggest pet peeve of this movie that really bothered me this time. As I listed like twenty five, but this one <laughs> this one got me. So somebody edited this together as a scary movie because there's a background score. When there's jump scares, um, there's like, and what's the ethics of that? Like, like of taking, like, 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 let, let's pretend this is real. What's the ethics of taking all this footage and cutting together this movie? Mm. And then at the end, you have like the unsolved America where like you're putting in the fact that like this little girl might be, um, possessed, possessed now. Or, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. so like thinking back on that, I'm like, so like there's, there's somebody edit this together like it makes sense in the hell house movies because it's regardless if you think of the quality of two and three um like they they're explaining how the first movie came to exist because Mm -hmm. that cameraman spoilers for hell house two like that cameraman like found the footage and then edited together and that's what the first one is and the second one is about like the ethics of doing that and then going back to the man the, the house totally cool makes sense like justifying it this one is like so who put this together the cameraman that left 
Like, like I don't need the full explanation, but what really surprised me was on this watch was the score mm-hmm. that goes along with the jump scares yeah. when it's supposed to be a found footage. Brian put that in my brain, and I wish that I could go back to my, like, ignorant bliss of not noticing that, and now yeah. I notice it. And it really does, like... It doesn't fully take me out of a found footage, but it is remarkable at how many found footage movies have a score that does like the scary strings when the scary thing happens. Because obviously sound plays such a big part in horror, but like it's just interesting that they're adding this in when the implication is already like, well, like what Brian was saying, we found this tape. Right, exactly. I've never noticed that either. And now... If I watch it well, again, it's going to be. Yeah, thanks nice a lot, Brian. Yeah. yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, Brian. My, my you pleasure. ruined it. Appreciate it. Yeah, we did it. We did it. We did it, everyone. Uh, um, it's a movie. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know. It's a film. I get it. I, but I like it. But I'm just I'm just that person. Um, I hate most of it, but it's good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I thought that those were interesting things, and I like it with yeah, all yeah. Of its flaws. Totally. Sure. But also, like, you know, come on, guys. Let's let's no, let's get but no. Um, no, I mean any any low budget movie is gonna have a list of like, oh, if they could have done this, if they could have done that, mm-hmm. you know. But mm-hmm, yeah, sure. when when you watch it, you gotta take it with a grain of salt. Like totally. this is the best of whoever these people are, this is the best they did at that moment in time. And, mm-hmm. and they did a great job for it's sure. It's still a really cool movie. <laughs> it's still yeah. a really cool movie. Um and then um and then another thing that kind of takes me out sometimes is does fake old film recordings take you out of stuff? Like when it's clear, like I put sepia over this and still recorded right. it. Like, you know, like <laughs> yeah, does yeah, that yeah, take yeah. you out of it too? I guess. I don't know. Uh, no, because I can imagine someone who's just like, I want to show my like artisticness. I, I, I don't know. I, that doesn't bother me. I, I, yeah. Cause like <laughs> I, I'm not too nitpicky about it. If, if it, like what like I guess it's like what's the point of this? Is it to like move the plot forward and like they're giving mm-hmm. us context yeah, that's important? Totally. And I'm able to pay attention to the context more than like that's fair. how they well, give me the context. Obviously the point should be to keep me in the world of the movie. Mm, that's uh, you know That's uh, the no. main I think that's the thesis. I, maybe you should talk to your therapist. About <laughs> yeah, I know it's true. <laughs> um I and think- then well, I, just w- one thing on that point, like I, I think for me, what pulls me out more than like fake old footage, because I can still be like, oh, oh sure, whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it really looked like. Um, but what pulls me out in these movies, and I can't remember if they do this in this at all, but is the camera glitch. And it's in like, mm-hmm. it's in fucking everything. everything. Yes. And yeah. It is so cliche and it doesn't make any sense. And I, I heard it once explained I maybe I was reading a script um that there it's like a paranormal interference with the camera but it's like come on mm-hmm. you're hiding every cut you know right, right. Mm-hmm. which yeah. like in hindsight I appreciated this movie didn't have that or at least we don't remember it because like it was edited by somebody and I'm like I'm very into I even though that like is a thing that like I question I still like that because because that kept the pacing of the movie forward so like there's a pros and cons to a lot of the gripes and I think that a lot of my I'm going to end with this a lot of the gripes in this movie are actually pros like mm-hmm. that keep it moving that like fill in a lot of the plot blanks um, 
that um you know they they don't get too specific so you're not questioning the things about what kind of phd candidates or whatever they are and you just go along with it because it's almost as if if they explained it you heard it but they didn't explain it and you're like oh i i know what's happening you know like so like you Mm -hmm. kind of like fool yourself into knowing that the first time all those things work for me the second time i just looking at a little deeper because i know the plot i know what happened so that's i'm i'm sure the bell curve would go in a different direction the third time i watch this i can almost guarantee it knowing how i watch movies um yeah and my three favorite quotes from this movie are how do you fight through something you can't see or know mm, and i powerful. think that that is yeah on many different levels works mm-hmm. um the gavin train is leaving <laughs> <laughs> and uh a third goddamn attic the attic jokes <laughs> got me attic yeah jokes. just a running gag of like how mm-hmm. how many do you have how mm-hmm. how many different spaces are in this huge house? Yeah. It, was, it was great. All right, so those are my likes and gripes, and I know that I focus on the gripes a lot, but I think this movie is great. I think this is one of my favorite found footage movies. Like this is top ten mm-hmm. found footage for me. I think that this works on so many levels. It's scary, and as Josh previously mentioned, it it does something important. Um, it's pointing to something important, and it's 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 more than an allegory. Um, uh, and I think that it really, really works on multiple levels, and everyone should actually watch this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Brian, I'll piggyback because you took a lot of my stuff, so mine will be very quick. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, mostly the likes, not necessarily the gripes, but... <laughs> Um, I love at the very beginning that this movie uh, sets you up for one thing and then for you to realize that it's something else is <laughs> fantastic. You guys have to look at the YouTube of this. Like there's so much happening. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful time. Well, you have also the hearts oh, too mm-hmm. that, that come out. Mm-hmm. So right. it's, it's fun things. <laughs> we love Deborah Logan. We love Deborah Logan. Uh, so I love the the – the title of this movie you think is going to be just like a possession, like whatever, but then it's about this disease. And so I think that that is like gorgeous to have that particular title. Um, I love the immediate setup of what you're getting with like the crew and the documentary, all of that. Um, first in my notes, but I love the idea of the heartless nature of exploiting a person's uh, story for your own benefit. So you're like already not on their side, the crew's mm. side because their mm-hmm. motives are um, sketchy from the beginning, um, but you still have to follow the story from their point of view. And so I thought that that was like really uh, fun and interesting. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite quotes that I thought you were going to mention, Brian, was, do they have a Starbucks in town? Oh, like, <laughs> that's a good one. Please. Yes, yes. <laughs> Number one gripe, touching things in people's houses. Why? It's just also like the equivalent of like touching black people's hair. Like, I hate that. So it's like <laughs> when the guys come in and he's like touching all the things, like, please stop. Just rude. Um, so I love good. the cuts of, I know, it's, it's crazy. Uh, I love the cuts of the actual doc um, and then them trying to explain like what the disease is mm. and then like the shots of the dead people are just like super chilling and it's like, that's really intense for mm-hmm. this, uh, you know, documentary that you're making. But like, okay, it's, it's cutting across. Um, 
I put also this would be a lovely made doc if it wasn't a horror movie. I just guess I was super into the documentary part of it all. Sure. So yeah. Was, what I felt about it. We d- briefly mentioned this at the very beginning, but the skin pulling of it all, I hate it. And it was very visceral and um, effective for me when she was pulling the skin off of her neck and when mm-hmm. she was pulling it off of her arm in the doctor's office. Uh, that is the kind of gore that makes me so excited about horror. Yeah. And so I did not want more in this situation. I thought it was mm. just... The right touch. Yeah, you got. And gorer. what's amazing? Yes. <laughs> what's amazing about that too is that is that still fits realistically in the realm of someone struggling with a mental disease. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And so that's what makes it like so much scarier. It's not just like random gore to be like, ooh, gross. You know, right. it's like it's real. It's like everything can- feels justified in this movie, like a hundred percent. I agree, which reminded me because this was so long ago that I'd never really thought about it. And maybe the next time I watch this, I'll think about it. But my grandmother, sorry, my grandfather on my dad's side suffered from the disease and passed from it Mm. when I was like in probably uh, in my early teens, like 13, 14. And I just remember when we would go and visit or when my grandfather would come and visit our house and having to be so on the alert and someone always being with him to make sure that he wasn't alone or that he got into different things. Mm -hmm. Um, So all that to say, I think that, that the representation in this movie of like really trying to keep track of Deborah or like hiding certain things or the moments when they're like um, taking all the things that she could possibly like put in her mouth. Cause she was swallowing like soil and all mm-hmm. that stuff, you know um, I thought that that uh, was super realistic and um, much appreciated that they put that into the movie uh, because it's a real thing that happens. Um, I loved the, the switchboard scene when mm-hmm. she's there naked and, and the switchboard is going off in the attic mm-hmm. and then there is the spark, but then you kind of can see a reflection of like the demon. Uh, and I thought that was Oh cool. yeah. 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 That was, I forgot. Mm-hmm. That was amazing. Yeah. Yes. I thought that was a really, a really great scene. Um, the acting of course is spectacular from everyone all around. I really didn't think that there was anyone who uh, was lacking in this and you would think the element of like we I always mention like hat on hat on hat on a hat and so like having uh this movie be about this disease and then turning it into like a satanic like possession ritualist type thing like you think would be overwhelming but how they do it it works for me and it doesn't feel it's just like a nice little like twist uh yeah. amongst like what's going on that didn't seem like too too out of the box so yeah i, I the, was a fan the transition i feel like recently of a, a big trend in documentaries and and i and this can't be done on purpose it can't be it's just like the luck of the draw is that they start with something and then it transitioned into something like truly wild whether it's mm-hmm. super depressing like dear zachary or whatever that that documentary is called or whether it's um the one that i think won the oscar for best documentary that um like um icarus or whatever it is where it starts with like the like bike doping and it turns into like this russian scandal mm. movie like mm. i feel like that is something that has come up a lot in very like popular documentaries and i think that this movie emulates that and that transitions from the like grounded alzheimer's movie into this like possession horror film really well and in the one of the more believable ways Mm -hmm. yes 
Absolutely. I, I agree. Uh, also, side note, <laughs> because I'm going to be that person uh, in, in the room. How are you guys pronouncing this disease? I have heard this d- disease pronounced so many different ways. So are you saying Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's? Like, tell me, how, how are you pronouncing <laughs> this? I'm saying Alzheimer's. Okay. Alzheimer's. 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 With a Z or a T? A-L-Z, Alzheimer's. Okay. That's how because, I say it. Yes, yes, yes. Just curious. I've heard multiple ways. I think ways I of sneak a T in there. I sneak a very tiny T in there. I've heard T's in it too. Yeah. And I have to correct myself because I feel like I'm wrong when I, I look at the word. Probably because the L Z, right? It just probably naturally makes like a little T sound. Yeah, oh, like pizza. You're right. I'll do that. Yeah. yeah. Like pizza. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like ugly fun with pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, fantastic. Um, also love that the guy got out of there. Like Brian said, mm-hmm. um, I also, Brian mentioned the weak minds susceptible to demons. Love that. Um, oh, I loved how the priest, when she was asking about exorcism, uh, the priest says that exorcisms are in, um, are in the realm of science fiction. <laughs> and I just thought that was an interesting, uh, statement for a priest to say that in this. Um, and then I loved the ending. I, I enjoyed the ending of it being like the kid is possessed, you know, with the little smile, the, the, the midsummer smile at the end. Um, mm. Really, really enjoyed that. Lots of jump scares. Um, the gunshot outside of the cave got mm-hmm. me. Uh, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie. This is probably my third time watching this. I think the first time I watched it was a pandemic watch. Mm. Um and I, I, I love it. I think this movie is solid uh, all around for a horror movie, and uh, I had a good time. So those are my thoughts. Jamie? Yeah, I agree with what everyone said. Um, I watched this twice, uh, and I really like this movie. The end. Um, no, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'll give my personal anecdote about Alzheimer's. So my grandfather had Alzheimer's, and he had moved mm-hmm. in with us when I was in like elementary school after uh, like he was living by himself uh, and he had fallen. And then my parents were like, all right, like you're going to move in with us. And then he just like really rapidly deteriorated. And my mom took like care of my grandpa for a long, like for a good chunk of time while he was living with us. And then things escalated and he went to like, uh, like senior living. And then like, again, his health continued to deteriorate and he was moved to, um, a nursing home. But like, man, it was really, it was very sad. It's so sad. And like visiting somebody who like doesn't remember you. I distinctly remember like once it got to that point where I was like, this person doesn't know who I am anymore. I think I only visited him like one time. And then I like Mm. felt that like after he passed away, I was also in high school, like around the same age, I think, as you were saying, Nikisha, and, like, I felt so much guilt about, like, not going more. But also I was, like, my relationship with this person has evolved, like, because of this disease. And so it's, like, I'm – I am mourning, like, this other version of this person. I'm, like, not really mourning, like, the most recent version of this person who, like, yeah. we have no connection anymore. And it took a long time for me to, like, kind of get to that place versus just feeling badly. Um, so that's my, like, personal connection to this and this being deeply sad – But that's why I like this, not just because of the sad things, and I like to be sad because I don't, but I like how then it shifts into the supernatural and the horror. And I agree with what everyone said about, like, 
the, the kind of like how it gets into that. They give so much really good context in the beginning that like really kind of primes you to think it's one thing. And then we keep seeing something else and we're like, oh, this, this seems like not that. Um, but that is also kind of part of what I would say is like really my only gripe for other than the small things that other folks mentioned, but my gripe is really around, um, the, the trope of like not believing what you're seeing. And I, I have a hard time with that after a while in certain horror films where it's like, you're, you're clearly getting something that is deeply concerning. And like, it gets annoying for me to a point where it's like, why aren't people believing this? Why aren't they taking it seriously? Like some people do, but like it's never everybody all collectively at the same time just sitting down and having a conversation about like, this is really weird. Like what action steps do we take now? Um, It's always disjointed and like there's always miscommunications. And then for me, it's just hard to believe like the real human behavior of it all. Mm. I, I think part of like what maybe works about it is the the relationship dynamics where it's like this woman, like Sarah, who's taking care of her mom, doesn't really have a relationship with this film crew. And mm-hmm. so like them right. kind of collaborating is going to look disjointed because it's like, I have to rely on these people. And like, I don't really, like, I don't really trust them, but like we're working with them in order to get something that we need from them. Whereas Deborah is even less willing to work with them, but like her daughter convinces her. So like, I understand that maybe not everyone's going to be on the same page because of like frayed relationships. But again, I feel like there comes a point where it's like people aren't necessarily, I don't know if it's that they're not thinking clearly, but I just don't Mm -hmm. believe some of the courses of actions that people would take. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, that is ultimately like the thing that bothers me the most in, in most movies is like me yelling at the screen. Cause I'm like, nobody would do that. Why are you doing this? This doesn't make sense. And like yes. that, that's what takes me out of things because I don't buy that people wouldn't either speak directly to each other or be like, Hey, look at this thing I recorded. That's really fucking wild. Can we talk about this? And like, you know, like just take this for what it is and not like, you know, dismiss it. I feel like everyone's always dismissing somewhat credible like beliefs about things or like, especially when you have evidence, like that's the thing that really gets me. It's like, you're recording all the time. You've caught a bunch of weird things on film. Why are we not doing anything with this? So like that, that usually is like the thing that I have the biggest problem with. That being said, I still really like this movie and we still like eventually get to this place where like, the two main protagonists, if you will, like the documentarian and Sarah, like kind of join forces and are working together more effectively. Um, So we get there eventually, but like, I just kind of wish that everybody collectively can be on the same page sooner, or at least like the barriers that they're presenting as to why it's not happening seem unnecessary Mm -hmm. for me. 
Yeah, it's Absolutely. a tired filler trope that yeah. uh, extends movies a lot of time where, like, the the woman in the relationship says, hey, all this crazy fucking shit's going on. I'm losing my mind. And the husband goes, oh, you're just not taking your pills and goes yeah. and plays video games and mm-hmm. kills people. Um, I hate it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so exhausting because, yeah. like, me, me and my horror friends, we talk about, like, well, well, how cool if, like, instantly the husband was like, I fucking love you. I believe you i don't know what's going on i can't explain it but you got your head wrapped around it and we're gonna take some action like we're gonna figure like, it out how much yeah. fun would that movie be it would be way so more fun than fun. being like great okay so we got a half hour of him not believing her yeah. then we're gonna right. get to the climax yeah. yeah yeah we've already like we have talked about this many times on this podcast and we've already established that if anybody starts to show any sign of possession we're all in we know we're that one of us it. is possessed yeah. as soon as your lips yes. are yes. chapped we're getting the chapstick and we're calling the priest because those yes. are usually the first signs. Or like if someone just says like, hey, I just saw somebody die, come back to life and eat someone. I saw a zombie. I'm tired of the like, no, those aren't real. Like if you like just believe what I said, I've never mm-hmm. said anything out of reality. I've had no history of delusions. Mm. I have never hallucinated You're not anything. This is We're a in prank. a post-COVID world. Yeah, we yeah. don't know what's about to happen. 100%. <laughs> That's true. At least I know that Brian and Keisha have my back in case of possessions Absolutely. and zombies. But the rest of the world has to get on board because we'll get we the mystery van these. we'll get it going we'll figure it <laughs> <Yeah>. out <laughs> we got you you know what's interesting though in in this movie it's the flop right it's the woman that stays and it's the cameraman that leaves yes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that whole that whole dynamic too though is just annoying in in the specific scene where the where Deborah is in the kitchen and then she jumps to the counter. Yeah. And yeah. they are like going back and looking at the footage and people are being like, oh, there's a glitch in the camera because it's recorded and glitches no, happen and blah, not. blah, blah. Like, it's like, cut it out. Even bring, don't they bring up the fact that the timestamp doesn't skip? Right. Yes. Exactly. So, like, there's the proof right there for you. Yeah. And yet and still, yeah. we get through. Yeah. I, and I'll give like one other point of credit where it's like, our. Our, like, underlying fear, like, our fear of things, fear helps keep us safe. It's, like, part of, like, this these biological contracts. That's, where, like, why anxiety, you know, sometimes works for us. Not all of the time. But there are things that we do to deny our own intuition. And one of those things is, like, giving situations or people the benefit of the doubt or mm-hmm. making light of situations. Like, there's a – I read this book called The Gift of Fear that I think about all the time that talks about, like, traumas that people have gone through. And, like, when you break down what what happened before, like, the, the worst thing happened, like – they collected data and information that could have protected them, but they didn't do certain things with that information. So, like, I think about that a lot in terms of ways that we deny, our, like, the things that we are seeing ourselves to yes. ourselves because the idea that that thing is actually happening is so utterly terrifying that we would rather dismiss it, deny it, make light of it, et cetera, et cetera. So like that's yes. the only caveat that I'm willing to give this, but I don't think that that's what they were actually trying to do. I think it was well, just It's so trip. funny you mentioned that too. Sorry, Josh, go ahead. No, 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 go, go. Oh, well, it's just funny you mentioned that exact thing because 
unfortunately, we have to do active shooter training uh, a lot of the times. And we just did one a couple of days ago. And the police was talking about something called um, social consciousness or something in the in the uh, sense of what you were talking about, Jamie, of if you hear what probably are gunshots, but you don't register that. And you're also looking around to the people around you to see like, oh, everyone else is calm. So, okay, I'll mm-hmm. just stay calm. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to, because you're thinking that it's not the worst thing, mm-hmm. but he was, you know, trying to just tell us like, you have to still be prepared that it could be the worst thing. So like, what are you, what are you doing? So it's yeah. just so interesting that you brought that up because it's like the same kind of scenario of like, you're, you're, body and mind want to always think that it's the safe thing and that everything is okay. And, but you still have to kind of prepare for like, it could be the worst thing. So like, Mm -hmm. what are you doing to make decisions uh, in, in that scenario? Yeah. Okay. So I want to toss a real life thing at the group that happened in my house and get your consensus on, did I act appropriately or did I do the whole like, Oh, everything's safe or fun thing. So, (laughs) Low backstory, we live in a house where we don't know if the couple who live there died in the house, but they died while living there. They were old mm-hmm. people. The man who owns the house, it was his parents. They lived there their whole uh, lives in America. I think they came maybe from uh, somewhere in the Middle East, somewhere. Um, and so they have stuff in this like locked part of the garage. And so several years ago we negotiated, Hey, there's a lot of room back there. Could we maybe also store some stuff in there? Um, you know, since the rent's going up and blah, blah, blah. And they were like, yes, here's a key. So I went in one day after a couple of months and I consolidated all of the people's stuff into one area. And then we started to fill the storage space with our own stuff and I was respectful because it 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 is it belongs to the man who leases us our house. But there were like lots of very personal things in there, notes, um, like a watchkeeper's desk, uh, lots and lots of photographs and records <clears throat> and all that stuff. So not short after that, and we didn't make this connection until later, but we started getting knocking on the wall at night, three knocks, knock, 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 like that fast. And we'd be like, did you hear that? No, it's got to be our old ass refrigerator, like whatever. And then it'd be like, knock, knock, knock. And we sleep with a fan on. So oftentimes we probably weren't hearing it, but it was Mm -hmm. happening enough that like every couple of weeks we'd be like, there's that weird knock again. That's weird. So later we connect that that's like maybe what happened is like, hey, old people are not too happy. I moved their shit. Okay. Um, So then just like a couple of weeks ago, and this is years later of like nothing ever happening. Years mm-hmm. later, my wife, I'm in our bedroom. The bedroom and the bathroom are next to each other, both with doors on the same part of the room. Ta-da! <laughs> so- <laughs> <laughs> it's another visual. It's another visual. Um, and so we are, <laughs> the doors are on the same part of the room, and so you can't see each other, right? And so mm-hmm. she's essentially next to me, but we're in totally different rooms. I'm on the opposite side of the bedroom sitting on the bed. And I see her shoot out into the hallway backwards with like soap and water dripping off of her face. And she like looks left, looks around, looks at me and goes, that wasn't you. And I was like, what? 
And so I get up and I kind of like saunter over because I'm like, this ought to be good. She's like, I was washing my face. And I've never seen her react this way to anything ever. She was washing her face and she said the shower curtain opened and she felt a finger go across her entire back and felt it, you know, leave her back. And then, and she like opened up her eyes and obviously nothing was in the room. And so I told her it was a shirt spasm and went back into the bedroom <laughs> and giggled heartily and then sat and thought about it. And, you know, we, we kind of, we banter cause it's fun. Sure. And so we bantered yes. a little bit about it and, you know, it was all lighthearted. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know what that was. I have no idea. And in my head, I'm like, I remember that knocking from a little while ago, from a couple mm-hmm. of years ago when I moved the stuff. I wonder if it's Abel's parents or if this is something different. But I kept it to myself and brushed it off in order to make her, like, you know, not spiral about it. Yeah, for sure. So even though I was doing the thing that I hate from the movies where I'm like, <laughs> ha, ha, oh, honey, go wash your face. <laughs> in my head, I was like, all right, what's the situation? How are we, you know, as a detective, what, are, what clues do we have? Right, right. Jamie, your thoughts? Oh, man. <laughs> I, I, can you move? Is that an option or? Uh... Not anytime soon. Great. Uh, We'd have to double our rent. We live in Los Angeles, so. Definitely don't <laughs> bring out the Ouija board. <laughs> Oh, I don't even. I've do. never touched one. I've never right. touched one. I'm terrified. Yeah. <laughs> no, our that's rule a, that's is that's a rule. <laughs> we, you can, we can never have one in our house. Not even in the house. Like no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. Um, I would say, I think you're a more layered individual. I feel like the movie husbands and the movie boyfriends are like, you know, the you know the bro who's like the no, micas like, of it all, the micas, the micas <laughs> of the world. Like for you know, like, like, but I feel like you're, you're telling us your inner life when the movie doesn't convey that inner life. But also like, Mm. I think there's two, there's, you kind of went through a process where like the way I read it is that like you are being a good husband in the moment attempting to like calm the situation because you know your wife long enough that she never reacts like that. Therefore, you are trying to like calm the situation down so you can both then what you did have a real conversation about it, whether it's joking or, you know, tongue in cheek or whatnot. Like that's to kind of like maybe cut through the like terrifyingness of it. But I I think I think you handled it well the way that you described it in a movie. You'd be like, go wash your face. Like that's so stupid, you know, but in this you were just like there was more. Who's going to make the kids sandwiches now? Yeah. Yeah. Oh God! Love it. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> well, does anyone else have any uh, other likes and gripes before we move on? To our God, next I section? hope not. I, <laughs> I think we're good. I think we covered it all. Fantastic. Well, let's get into our next section: mm, brains. <sighs> Tasty. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Josh, since you are our guest, you had a question for Jamie, so I will let you go first. 
Okay. What do you want yeah. To ask her? I'll try to make this not as long winded as everything else. Um, so That's I great. mentioned I do a lot of work in rare diseases. That's my day job. And that weighs on me. And we see some really heavy stuff and we talk about some really intense situations and see a lot of intense situations, especially traveling internationally to companies that are low, lower income than the US and have less resources. With that, I know that I'm helping by making these documentaries and we, you know, I'm able to process it on a daily basis, I guess, because of that. But nothing is scarier to me than getting to a point in life where I start to lose my identity and my memory from either Alzheimer's or dementia or something going on with my brain. And I already know I kind of have a memory disability or disorder. I don't even know how to think about it because it's like a new thing for me. I didn't realize everyone on the planet has a visual memory and like imagination. And I have what I found through TikTok to find out is aphantasia, which means I don't have a visual imagination. So I already struggle with like remembering people's faces and locations. Um, And uh, yeah, so I, I guess, Jamie, my question for you is for someone like me who has, and I can actually go into where the origin of this comes from if, if you want, but um, as someone who like fears this loss of memory uh, and have been fearing it my entire life, like what's the best way to process those feelings as an adult who knows that I cannot harp on these things and that I need to like live life to the fullest day by day and not get lost in this shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also like empathize greatly again, like as somebody who has like potentially predisposition to Alzheimer's and like know that that test exists that you can find out if you have like, the gene. I have not taken it uh, because I I don't know if I also like on a personal level could handle knowing that that's like definitively going to happen to me. And mm. so like kind of thinking about or like alluding to what you were saying at the end is like I think that – I mean also like we're as we get older thinking about our mortality and all of these thoughts I think just – is a a part of life and getting older and like just part of the human experience. But at the same time, it's like, how are you, how often is that coming up for you and like making it difficult to live your daily life and enjoy the thing, like enjoy what you're able to enjoy now and like take pleasure and, and like happiness in, in the present moment and like how, how you can like kind of know this if your mind is wandering and thinking about these things because you're like, because you're dealing with it on a more regular basis. It's like, when are you able to like both kind of sit and address those feelings, but also like compartmentalize them when it might not be always serving you. And it's like mm-hmm. trying to strike a balance between honoring the, th- the fact that like that's coming up and like, it's something that you're that you're concerned about and that it is scary and like acknowledging that and sitting with that and validating that, but also like how much life is there left to live and and how do you want to live it? And like, does, Mm -hmm. does thinking about that get in the way of being able to fully enjoy the life that you do currently have? Yeah. 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 I think that's all, I think that's all kind of like, ways of, uh, that I have been kind of thinking and processing it, but, uh, hearing a, an external source say this stuff, it's like, yeah, yeah, I got to do that. But <laughs> in thinking about it, so it really is like, I, I was working on a documentary today about these guys who, uh, have this rare bleeding disorder who were supposed to live to 13 years old, a mm-hmm. bunch of them, like 
80% of them got infected with HIV because of the blood supply before we really knew what AIDS and HIV was. And then most of the people they know died off. And so like, mm-hmm. I'm making a documentary about these guys who survived mm-hmm. who are like in their sixties and like crying oh, on wow. screen talking about like, now I'm learning about end of life care. That's what mm-hmm. triggered me today actually, which is funny that this is like, and not to make this whole therapy session, but, um, <laughs> uh, but like hearing that end of life care as someone who's nearing 40 starts to spiral that thought process of like, I've had 40 years on this earth. There could be a rare disorder that I get. There could be some form of cancer that I get. There could be, there could be, there could be, there could be, you know? Mm -hmm. And you start to think about like end of life and Mm -hmm. that in the moment is not helpful to creating this documentary because those (laughs) are my own personal feelings. But then I'm Mm -hmm. worried that going home, everybody falls asleep and I'm laying there just like... You know, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other thing I'll say that I that I talk a lot about with clients when it comes to like anxiety and like the what ifs is, I think again going back to what I said about like fear. There's the part of anxiety that is rooted in like self preservation and keeping us safe from harm. However, when we start to like become really preoccupied with those thoughts, we're doing that to almost manage if slash when this, this bad thing that I'm worried about happens, like I want to manage how I feel. I want to manage like what happens. I want to have control over something that like, maybe, maybe we don't really have control over, but what ends up happening is a, let's say that thing never happens, but now you've been experiencing so much distress over it that like, you're still feeling all of the feelings as if you were going through it, but it has not come to pass. The other thing is if it does happen, I can almost guarantee that you will still have a totally normal human reaction to it because that's part of being human is that like if something bad happens, like we're going to feel badly and no matter how much we try to like prepare for it, it doesn't actually stop us from still having a a completely normal human reaction to it because that's, that's literally part of the human experience. So like you're almost experiencing it multiple times now in anticipation of it happening. And then if it actually does happen. So it's like, you're, you're putting yourself through all of this extra distress and turmoil before the thing has even come to pass. Yes. That is the most helpful. That is the most helpful reminder. Um, because that, that immediately triggered, and this will be the last thing I say about it. Um, and this is not meant to be any sort of hyper, uh, (laughs) you know, like bigger than it is. Um, but I've worked with women my entire life. A lot of my freelance time was talking to, uh, and creating content for women who are moms and talking about pregnancy and all the, the crazy shit that happens when you become, you know, creating a person inside of you. And so I was super, super, super prepared when my wife, uh, you know, got a, a positive pregnancy test and so I started listening to books and the books were like, hey, here's here's all the deals about miscarriages, right? And I, I was like, yeah, I know this shit. I, I'm re-going over this shit. I'm going to be so prepared. And then when it happened to us, I acted the way that the book says not to act, which is to <laughs> isolate, which is to not talk to your spouse, which is to take it all on yourself. And I was able to come out of that quicker because I had done some of the preparation through like my work. Um, but it still happened. It still happened exactly like textbook case. 
Yeah. It was fascinating to see it happen to myself because you, you think I'm so prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, you just spend you know, your whole life worrying about it. It really, <laughs> like truly, it's, it's really, and it's interesting because like we continue to do it because again, it's like we're trying to, I mean, people fear the unknown, period. Like uncertainty, mm-hmm. we can't stand it. So we're going to do whatever we can to try to maintain whatever degree of control we can if it's reading all the books, doing all the, getting as much resources as we can, like all of that. But again, like if something bad happens, we're, we're going to react to it because like, you know, you have empathy, you're a human, like it's upsetting, like all of these things. So yeah, it's, it's really hard if something does happen and then you like live it, even though you've been like preparing to control this moment for so long. It's like, (laughs) it's even more upsetting because it's like, well, what the fuck? I did all of this work. And then now like, and, and, and it's a reminder of like, wow, I really don't have control over things, which also I think can really send people spiraling. Um, Mm -hmm. which then is like, even if you don't have control over a situation, that does not mean that you do not have control. So it's like, what, what do I have control over? Even if I, like, I, I, there's nothing I could do about this, but that doesn't mean that I can't do anything. So it's like how to kind of help shift yourself out of that mindset of like, I am helpless. There's nothing I can do into like, you know, how can I cope? How can I like, like you said, like seek support, get, get more information, like lean on other people. But like, those are things that you can do that are in your control that you have power over. It's hard to remember that in moments of like, you know, despair and distress and like things going wrong. But like, that's, that's like a big one that I think about a lot of like, even in situations where we can't control the situation itself, we are not totally helpless. We still have power over ourselves. And this has been your free therapy session by Jenny Klofsky, <laughs> licensed counselor and social worker. Oh I'll see you next that week. was a therapy session yeah. for me too. Thank you. Thanks for the free marketing, Nikisha. <laughs> I'm just saying, that was a word. That is literally cognitive behavioral therapy. Those are my therapy sessions. And that is a great, rem- I think that's a great reminder for everyone. Especially people who really um, are suffering from anxiety, which is like the majority of uh, millennials. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> myself included, I I forget Truly. these same things all the time. Brian knows. I'll ask him all kinds of unhinged questions, and he's like, <laughs> and he's he's not my therapist, but he's just like the one coming to me with like rational explanations for things. And now I yes. at least preface it with like, hey, I'm coming to you with like a completely irrational, unhinged thought. I know that, right? But I'm still going to tell it to you because you're my husband, yeah. and, I, and that's what yeah. you get. And, so. Yeah, and I'll be like, "Yes, I would still love you if you were a worm." <laughs> yeah. Thank well, you. I'll tell you, it's not just millennials; it's boomers too. They just weren't equipped with the tools to uh, verbalize what they're feeling. Oh, so, agreed. Yes. You know, sure. the next Absolutely. time a Karen is screaming at you in some Walmart, yeah. just keep in mind they don't know what therapy is. It's unprocessed <laughs> trauma yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. happening in the moment. A thousand percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, you're getting the, the tail end of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. I guess Goodness. To jump off of that, you know, what can you do to – if you're the caregiver for somebody with something like Alzheimer's or um, – and like – what can you do to process that if you're on the other end of it where you're probably also processing the fact that like this may genetically happen to you at some point, but you're also living through – whether you're the caretaker or not of that person, you're living through you know, w- what is 
probably one of the more people, important people in your life who gave you life, who gave you memories, kind of losing their reality and, and, and their sense of self. Like, how can you process that as the loved one of somebody who is going through that? Yeah. I mean, it definitely, like, there's a lot of different kinds of support for like this exact, like for caregivers. Um, I think something to be mindful of is um, compassion fatigue, which is mm. uh, like the the experience of somebody who's like in a caregiver role. And it's not just about like caregiver family members. It's also like people in professional roles who are who are caregivers who are like, you know, constantly having to like empathize and work with people in, in a compassionate way, like doctors and, and, um, and nurses and like, you know, the medical professions, uh, mental health professionals, like things like that. Um, but like the, the risk of compassion fatigue can lead to like burnout. Um, and so you have to be really careful and like very aware of the, the impact of like, putting so much of yourself to take care of this person, especially if they like don't remember you or like they're really struggling. There's a lot like, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia is, is more than just not being able to remember things. It's not being able to communicate. It's not being able to be independent. Um, you know, there, there's just like a lot that, um, is really hard, not only on the person directly experiencing it, but like the secondary people who are surrounding it. So like, you know, similarly, leaning on, leaning on a support system. There's like so many support groups out there for caregivers and that, that even get as specific as like caregivers of like, you know, people with dementia and Alzheimer's caregivers of, um, you know, like family members with cancer, like all, there's so many different things out there. So like find a support group, you know, go to therapy, get your own like individual support. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think just like being aware of how, like, how this might be impacting you and also making sure that you're also taking time for yourself. Like you are more than just a caregiver. So making sure that you are practicing self-care, that you are still taking time for the things that you enjoy. And, and there's a lot of guilt around that too. But like, I think normalizing that, like, again, like you, you hold many identities. You're more than just like the, the, you know, the daughter of your mother who has Alzheimer's or the caregiver to your mother who has Alzheimer's. Like you have interests, you have values. It's important that you are taking care of yourself so that you can more effectively also help take care of somebody else. Um, so that's, that's why the self-care is particularly important for, um, for caregivers or like anyone adjacent. Cause, um, it's really, it's really taxing and it's really yes. deeply upsetting. So like that, that helps support you so that you're best able to support somebody else. That's great. Yeah. Um, and I have just one last question. Check. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you were to take all of uh, Miss Deborah Logan's symptoms and have to categorize them uh, you know, maybe even diagnose her with something if it wasn't Alzheimer's. Do, is there like a closely related um, diagnosis or mental illness uh, to all of her symptoms of like lashing out, um, you know, kind of the split personality happening? Like, what would you say? It's interesting because um, I, so with diagnosing, there is like a, a process to it, if you will. Yeah. Um, 
So even though we have like the whole DSM, the diagnostic manual, which apparently they they have a, an official like revised copy now. So now we have our DSM five uh, dash like TR, I think it's called. I forget. There was like they updated oh. it. They made they make some tweaks every so often. Um, Love it. <laughs> whatever. I don't own these books because they're like hundreds of dollars. <laughs> like I can't I can't even afford. I'm a mental health professional and I can't afford the DSM. So whatever. Um, but, uh, (laughs) there is a process to diagnosing. And so like, before you go to mental health, you do want to make sure that you're exploring any like actual physical health issues that could Mm. be at play. So like in thinking about this, like, I think honestly, she really does fit the criteria for Alzheimer's. Like that, Mm. that would truly be my first go-to before, any, like before exploring any mental health disorder. Um, and again, it's like, there's a lot of her, obviously there's a lot of supernatural elements, but like a lot of her behavior, um, you know, like she does walk around naked at one point, um, maybe not communicating in French, but like, you know, difficulty with certain words and with language, um, Mm. being really confused and disoriented, like, a lot of what she's doing really does fall, I think, more under like a, a medical issue over a psychological issue. So mm-hmm. I say all yeah. that to say like you, you know, before you necessarily think that it could be like a mental health thing, you want to explore it with like a medical professional first to see if there could be some kind of like health explanation for what's happening before you go to the the mental health piece. So um, yeah. there's like, you know. I, I'm I'm racking my brain for other examples right now because I can't think of anything. But like, there are a lot of things that can sometimes really overlap symptoms wise. So like, that's why it's really important to make sure that you are doing this like thorough evaluation to see like maybe there could be something like physically happening that could impact why you might be having these other symptoms. So I just think that's like, I think it's I, I always think it's really interesting. Um, because mm-hmm. some people might like assume one thing, but it's like, well, like, let's talk to your doctor about it and see if there's like something right. else that could be going on. Sure. Um, but yeah. And that it's like helpful to not just assume that like there could be, that it could be mental health, but that there's like other things that could be at play too. That's, that's interesting. I, I'm not going to read it, but I wrote a full list of all the clues in this movie as like to what's happening. And 50% of them are actual Alzheimer's things, inclusive of the fact that they say like her Alzheimer's has sped up, which mm-hmm. is a clue like something else is happening there. But, you know, just the scratching to the neck we talked about and, yeah. um, and you know, and, and the staring out the window. And then remember she attacks um, the mm-hmm. camera during yeah. the um, talking head interview. Um, like there's a lot of that paired with like the jumping on the counter and mm-hmm. the scales and, you know, the figures in the mood painting, swings. the mood swings. Mood I think swings, it's, yeah. you know, hearing what you just said and reading through my list, like they really do a wonderful job of like really pairing the Alzheimer's symptoms with you know, the French snake, you know, like, like, yes. <laughs> oui, oui. Yeah. the French snake of it yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh. Parcel tongue. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. That also just reminded me when you were talking about seeking uh, medical things first before it might even be a mental health thing, uh, talking about our girl, uh, Reagan in the exorcist mm-hmm. movie and how they were exploring all of those 
uh, options, whether it be, uh, you know, physical or mental mm-hmm. health before it was actual possession. Sure. Yeah. You know, they were like, she's were got seizure disorder and, or like epilepsy. Right. And then, and then like, you know, then, the, then it could be a combo of things, right? Cause like for Reagan, mm-hmm. I think they were like, oh, she has epilepsy, but also maybe has like bipolar disorder, yeah. like all of these things that they're kind of explaining, but they would kind of go through this like trajectory of like physical, medical health issues first before the psychological. Yeah. Our Fantastic. Cool. <laughs> Good old Reagan. Well, that's all I have for that. Anyone else have any other questions before we move on? What's up? Fantastic. Let's, let's figure out the Rotten Tomatoes for this bad boy. Let's do it. Is it going to uh, do it? Let's do it. What do we think the Rotten Tomato score is for the taking of Deborah Logan? As a reminder, we're doing the critics' Rotten Tomato score, uh, not the audience score. Um, so let's go around the horn. Um, Josh, we'll give you the option. Do you want to go first or do you want to go last in guessing the percent? I'll go first. All right. I'm going to say, is it out of 10? Uh, it's out of a hundred percent out it's of a hundred. So yeah. I'll, I'll say, uh, 76. All right. 76 trombones. Uh, Nikisha. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to say 92. I'm going to be hopeful. 92. Good. Critics year. and audiences agree. <laughs> uh, Jamie. I'm going to say 67. I'm going to flip. 67. All right. Uh, The answer is it's a 91%. Yeah. Critics got it right. Yeah. Good job, critics. It's 91% on 11 reviews. Still, like, you need, like, that's basically one that doesn't give it a great one. Um, uh, So that's there. It actually does not have a critics consensus there. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I find interesting is that the audience score is 49%. Wow. Whoa. People, you know, horror movie fans love to hate horror. Yeah. <laughs> um, You're not wrong. <laughs> so let's move to um, let's move to Letterboxd. Letterboxd is obviously more about the average of uh, of you know everyday viewers, if you will. Um, this is out of five, and it has decimal points. Um, so let's go reverse order this time. Uh, Jamie, what do you think the Letterboxd average score is here? Um, I'm going to say 3.1. All right. Nikisha? Uh, I'm going to 2.8. Okay. And Josh? 3.7. Ooh. It has a three on the nose. Wow. Nice. Yeah. I almost said three. Mm. (laughs) Three on the nose. See, you got to trust your gut. Yeah, you but you didn't. I didn't. No. <laughs> and the and the and the number one most popular review of this is <clears throat> this review may contain spoilers. My father is in the early stages of Alzheimer's, and I can't wait until he unhinges his jaw and tries to eat my head. 
That is the number one review. I'm pretty uh, sure that was my coworker, Jepney. That sounds exactly like my oh editor. Oh my god, that <laughs> sounds fantastic. So funny. This is by Jordan uh-huh. Anderson. Wow, wow. Uh, shout out to you um, for right. Yeah. Anyway, so that was that. Cool. Uh, let's do the four S's. Oh my god. Cool. <laughs> cool. 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 Uh, the four S's are skulls, scares, shakes, and suggestions. Skulls is how well this movie handles mental health and human behavior on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the best. Then scares, how scary is this movie, 10 being the scariest. And then shakes, um, is this a one and done for you? Will this one stick with you? How Can you shake it off? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so, um, Jamie, let's start with you. Yeah. Let's. Um, so for Skulls, I gave this a six. I originally gave it a five, but then I bumped up a point for Gavin leaving and making a really smart decision. Yes. Um, but again, most of my like score has to do with my the gripe that I you know went on sure. and on about. Um, for Scares, I gave this a four. Um, there's a lot of like really good jump scares, and then you know. Snake head eating a, a full head. Uh, yeah. Um, for shakes, I'm giving this a seven. I think like my personal relationship to Alzheimer's really solidifies this as well as like, I, I do really love found footage horror like that combined. I think it's going to just continue to have a lasting impact on like when I think about found footage horror, when I think about Alzheimer's and hopefully not, you know, unhinging my jaw and eating anybody, but like, <laughs> It's it definitely um, I think has lasting staying power for sure. Uh, Josh, you want to go next? Okay. Uh, for skulls, I did seven out of ten. I knocked off three skulls because it blurs the line between supernatural, um, but it does start off strong and it does have a lot of those like really solid. Um, I, I didn't even think about the other characters. I was really only focused on Debbie. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for scares I did 8 out of 10 but only because it's that existential scary that like specifically speaks to me if we were talking about just what's happening in the movie and like the jump scares and the the like the initial like I don't know scariness I, I it would probably be much lower mm-hmm. um, and then shakes I did 7 out of 10 which I know is surprisingly low but I'm gonna say uh, it's maybe because the theme I always remember this movie, but all of the nuances of the like the possession and the the backstory. I've watched this. This is my third time watching, and I still like am surprised and don't quite get the entire story. Maybe it's sure. I'm not paying a close enough attention, <laughs> but that part just doesn't stay with me at all. So it's like that's kind of cool that it's new every time. I will keep coming back. Yeah. 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 Uh, Nikisha? Mine was very similar. Skulls, I gave it a seven uh, for the same reasons that Josh said. Um, My scares, I gave it an eight. Also because of the existential dread, you know, the anxiety (laughs) of it all is a killer. And I thought it did a good tension building as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And then Shakes, I put this as a nine. Uh, I was contemplating because this is scored from like a while back when uh, I watched it, but I'm going to leave it at nine. I think it's a really solid movie. So, Okay. Um, 
I'm seven for skulls as well. I think that Gavin leaving is definitely bumps this up the way that Jamie expressed it. Um, um, for me, uh, I gave this a six for scares um, without the existential crisis and without um, the relationship between the daughter and the mother. This probably would have been more like a four, um, but those mm-hmm. two things bump it up a little bit more. And then this is a solid eight for me in terms of um, – shakes this will always be on a list of what what found footage movies should i watch i will always suggest this in there um i think that this is just really well made and i know we talked about the cg but that la- that image sticks with me it absolutely mm-hmm. sticks with me um uh it, it just just in, in on paper in my mind whatever the case may be um i think it's really well acted and i know i talked about it before but ann ramsey is really good as the daughter in this like yeah. really good um and i think that she to me her performance like really puts this over the top as the daughter who feels disconnected from her mom and was sent away at a young age and like and then there's we didn't even talk about it but there's that there's that like there's that um, homophobic, um, homophobic subtext to this movie um, that uh, that like, but but like, but is it that? Is it not that? And I think that adds a whole layer to this movie as well. Um, mm-hmm. That is fascinating. On top of you know the relationship with her mother, there's also this like generational gap and all that. It, it, it's 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 all it's all very fascinating. So this is a this is a real like. 8.9 for me, just off of a nine. So maybe yeah. it was worth it to cast someone noticeable. Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh, oh no. I, it's a weird, it's a weird cognitive dissonance between like the fact that I recognize them and I wouldn't want to have anybody else uh, other than that play. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. It's like this, but sure. you're totally right. Like, I'm like so happy that this person is in it, like acting, and then I and then I'm just like, oh, but now I have to like get back into it because I'm excited that this person's there and whatnot. But yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, I will start with my suggestions. I just have one suggestion. Um, I, I'm going to stick uh, on the Alzheimer train. Um, uh, Relic. Relic mm-hmm. is a allegory for Alzheimer's. It is absolutely fantastic. Um, I, Emily Mortimer is in it. Um, mm-hmm. It is a great film. Uh, if you want a more existential crisis for for that, you should you should watch that. I haven't watched and it yet, but I have it, it on VHS. <laughs> oh no, no, not so that's the going relic. In the cu- uh... Relic from like two or three years ago. <laughs> oh, so, you wow, wow! Oh, I'm so not the relic, just relic. <laughs> Got it. Wow. Relic from '97 with Tom Sizemore is, spect- is a great movie. So, you, so I'm suggesting both relics: the relic from 1997 <laughs> and, and uh, relic, relic from 2020, um, which um, is is directed by Natalie Erica James, um, and it stars uh, Emily Mortimer in that. <laughs> Fireworks! Watch the YouTube. Uh, cool. All right. Uh, who wants to go next? Uh, I'll go. Um, I have Possessor as mine for Whoa. like body horror and mind control. <laughs> but then we were talking Ooh. about like horror movies that talk about real things. And then that just reminded me of Get Out. So if you just want another one, that's like social, the social commentary of it all. So those two. Oh, man. Possessor fucked me up. I'll never watch it again. It really fucked me up big time. Crazy. 
Uh, Jamie, do you want to go? We'll save Josh sure. for last. Um, yeah, so I also had Relic. Um, if you want a fa- another found footage movie uh, about grandparents, maybe with a slightly different tone, uh, The Visit. Um, <laughs> yes. It's a time. <laughs> There's uh, only one skippable moment in the whole movie. I hope you don't. I, I, I you heard don't you like don't messes. like messes. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's yeah. such a fun M Night movie. That that yeah. to- the tone of that film is like all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. What a time! Um, and then another found footage that's also supernatural, not necessarily about the elderly. Uh, but whatever. Uh, the Last Exorcism. Um, yeah. I really like that movie. Also, because like it's, I mean, it's about like a a minister who kind who doesn't really believe anymore and is performing fake exorcisms. And so, like, what happens to him? You have to watch it. I really Ooh. like that movie. Fantastic. I don't, I don't remember much about that one other than I, I feel like it goes harder than it has any right going. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. I, like I was surprised. <laughs> I don't think the sequel is that great, but the first one is pretty good. Nice. All right, so I've got two. Um, if you want to go uh, sort of explore the uh, home filmmaking route, there's The Possession of Michael King, where mm-hmm. a guy loses his wife and decides to make uh, d- decides to document himself doing absolutely everything you shouldn't do <laughs> to uh, get a connection to the other side, mm-hmm. um, and basically everything works at the same time. So, like <laughs> he thinks, like throughout the film, that nothing is happening, and then all of a sudden, whoosh, um, cool. and it's. Similarly, kind of a little bit disappointing on the CGI, but it's really fun. And when I watched it, some weird stuff happened in my hotel room that night that I was never able to explain. I thought there was like someone with a camera taking flash photography through the grate in my um like the ventilation shaft in my room because there were these like pops of like light that lit up the entire room every time I tried to fall asleep. Um, yeah. And then the, the movie has like a great sound design that like puts voices into the sound of like rushing water almost. So like when I was brushing my teeth, it was like psychologically like getting in my head after the film, even though I didn't feel it was that scary while watching it. Mm -hmm. But the medium is my hands down the best pairing for this movie. Because mm. if if you have been along for the just only Josh was on this podcast ride, um, then we did the Leslie Vernon, which is comedy documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have this, which is scary documentary. And then we've got what feels like the real fucking deal. It's called The Medium. It's a Thai movie. Um, and it is, I think, the scariest found footage movie I've ever seen, for me personally. Ooh. So it's documentary, and as someone who travels internationally, it looks like something that me and my crew went out and shot, which is already, like, I'm 100% bought in. Um, Takes place in Thailand, follows a woman who gets possessed. And I won't say much else other than it freaked me out so much that even with all the lights on in my entire house, I'm talking every single light, I still jumped out of my skin when I saw my kitchen garbage can because I thought it was her. Oh, God. (laughs) 
That's intense. Okay. Yeah. I got to put that on our I'm list. Adding it to my list. Yeah. I don't want to overhype it. It might not be the same scary <laughs> for every person, but mm-hmm. it is it is my top tier like one of the scariest movies I've ever seen next to like Evil Dead 2013. All right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we whenever whenever you come back on, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> Hell yeah. Great. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. We'll we'll figure that out, but that's what we're going to do the next time you join us. No question. Cool. The medium Cool. Love it. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up our episode of The Taking of Deborah Logan. Thanks for listening to us. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at TalkHorrorPod, P-O-D. And we want to shout out again, Josh, thank you so much uh, for joining us for this uh, episode. And is there anything that you want to plug or where can they listen to you? Yeah, people can find me just about anywhere under the name Haunting Season. It's like hunting season, but for ghosts. Um, (laughs) I have a podcast that I haven't updated in a long time, but it has lots of original (laughs) scary stories on it. And I've talked to some really cool people. Same thing with the YouTube. YouTube is is largely based around my own original scary stories, and I'm starting to post there more often. I even have a Patreon if people want to support me in my pursuit of creating larger, more meaningful horror films, because I do have a goal of... Becoming, you know, having Haunting Season become its own production studio and to put meaningful work in the horror space out out there. Um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, if you're on a platform and you think I might be on there, I probably am. <laughs> nice. uh, we put all the we put the links in our description so you can check uh, Haunting Season out there for sure. Fantastic. And producer Brian, where can they listen to us? Yeah, you can listen to us wherever you get podcasts. Um, of course, you can find us on YouTube. Hi, YouTube. Um, you can watch all the insane uh, Apple stuff that happened on this episode. Um, so you have that. Um, additionally, you can find us on things like Spotify uh, and Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us there. Uh, five stars, please. And, and thank, thank you. you. <laughs> Is in fireworks once again. <laughs> right. Um, producer Brian, what quote do you want to leave us with? A third goddamn attic? <laughs> <laughs> and the mic train leaves the station. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.